Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. So Lord, we just declare springtime. I thank you, God, that we are coming back to life in every sense of what that word means. And God, today I just ask that you would come and uh, wash over our thoughts, Lord, in Jesus' name. That you would renew our hope for what is coming next. I thank you, God, that many of us are making plans. Plans about what to do when it's time to go back to school. How are we going to go back to school? How are we going to play sports? What do we do? What's the right answer? And God, I thank you that your answer is always to continue to move forward. I thank you that that doesn't mean the same thing for all of us, but it does mean that we are not afraid. Your word tells us, God, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. And a sound mind means, God, that you will give us wisdom and understanding so that we can make good decisions when it comes to our families, whether that's school or sports, or maybe it's our job or just how we're doing daily life. God, you can give us wisdom, but I thank you that you also give us courage. And so I ask, Lord, that we all are coming with different questions on our hearts today. Some of it has to do with our kids. Some of it has to do with extended family. Some of it has to do with how is our job or our, our schools or all of these question marks, Lord, I thank you that you know the answer. Just this morning, the word that um, you gave in the church service where I was is that our focus is to just be on you. And something that we hear over and over, Lord, being talked about is you really don't even need A, B, C, and D of the answer. You just need Jesus. And so, God, we just declare the name of Jesus over our city, over our family, over our state, and over our nation. And, God, we just lift you high. The Word talks about over and over that kings of old would make high places to false gods, and then new kings would come in, and it was their job to tear down the high places. And we just say, God, that you are the highest place in our heart and in our life and in this community, and in our country, Lord. So, Lord, we just declare Jesus and grace over every question that we have. And I thank you, God, that you are going to meet with us today. And I thank you that you're not going to talk to us necessarily about our kids or our husband or the things that we're concerned about, but you're going to talk to us about us and what you can do in us and through us. I just thank you, God, that um, you never get tired of us. I thank you that your desire is always to meet with us and to speak to us. So, God, today, that's our desire, too. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us and change us and restore us, God, to the women that you've called us to be. And we love you, God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, gang, this is, um, I'm excited about, we've got four different lessons today. The first one, we're going to talk about Jonah, but the theme of the day is restoration, and I want to start by reading you a book um, 
I get the opportunity to be with students often. And this is one of my favorite books. I read you another one last time we were together. This uh, book is by Max Lucado, and it's called You Are Special. And many of you have probably heard um, this book before, and you've probably read it to your kids and your grandkids and some of you to your classes. Um, but as I read you this book today, I want you to hear it for yourself. And I want you to think about who you might be um, in the book. And we're going to use this sort of as a common thread throughout our time together today. So You Are Special by Max Lucado. The Wemicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes, some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats, but all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. And all day, every day, the Wemicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemix gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemix had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others though could do little and they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemix would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Weemick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung around the Wemix who had a lot of dots. He felt better around them. One day, he met a Wemix who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemix admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, 
thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Weemick how she did it. It's easy, easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the wood shop with him. Why? Why don't you find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the Weemick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home and sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. He decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything and the stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave. And then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Weemick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up, set him on the bench. Hmm. The maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Weemicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Weemicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint's peeling. My paint's peeling too. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it'll take some time. You've got a lot of marks. So for now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Weemick walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. I think that we can all relate to the fact that um, 
we've been given some stickers. And I'm not real sure, the more I think about it, if the stars or the dots are better or worse. We weren't designed to receive stars and dots for other people, from other people, but we were created to represent our maker to everyone that we come in contact with. Time spent with him. You know, the line in that book that makes me cry almost every time I read it is when Eli says to Punchinello, I've been waiting for you to come. And I think about the fact that your creator, God, the king of all of the universe, is waiting for you to just come and to sit in his presence. And then if your paint is chipped or you got a gray dot or a gold star, he is the one who can restore you to your original condition just the way that he intended for you to be before he created you in your mother's womb. When we are fully accepting of and restored to who he has called us to be, equipped and anointed, then we conduct ourselves in the grace and the authority that accompanies that position. So today we are going to talk about being restored. And I looked up the definition uh, to the word restore. And it, it means to bring back to a previous right or a previous situation, to reinstate. It means to return someone to a former condition. It means to repair or renovate so as to return it to its original state. I want to share with you, this was so interesting because I was in a church service Wednesday night and my sweet friend Molly Anderson uh, shared a word and I thought it was perfect for me to share with you today, so I asked her to send it to me. Philippians 2, 16 and 17 say this, Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. And then Molly said, to be an offering that is poured out, you must be willing to become liquid and then endure heat. When a solid reaches the temperature of its melting point, it can become liquid and be poured. Are you at your melting point? Are you willing to endure pressure and heat to be made into a liquid? Are you willing to let your mind be renewed? Are you willing to lay down your dream and willing to pick up his? If the answer is yes, then let yourself let go of what you thought would happen and yield to the melting point so that you can become 
liquid. Qualities of a liquid. A liquid is a nearly incompressible fluid that conforms to the shape of its container, but retains a nearly constant volume independent of pressure. It is the only state with a definite volume, but no fixed shape. Are you willing to lose your fixed shape? Let yourself become liquid and flow in the presence of the Lord. As you pour yourself out, I will pour my spirit in. I looked up um, the definition or an explanation of states of matter because that is a liquid and a gas and a solid. And this made me laugh. All matter can move from one state to another. It may require extreme temperatures and extreme pressures, but it can be done. Sometimes a substance doesn't want to change states. And then you have to use all of your tricks when that happens. And I thought, boy, I can relate to that. We don't always want to endure the pressure and the heat. But how many of you would say, at least since March, I feel like I have experienced some pressure and some heat. And I want you to be encouraged that water is water, whether it is ice or whether it is liquid, or whether it is vapor. It isn't a change in the essence of who you are. But we are all undergoing a melting point season in our life where the Lord is using pressure, situations, increased heat to bring you to the place that you will conform to your container, which is his hand. Do you know that the scripture says that I hold you in my hand? And my father, who is greater than I am, has you in his hand. And nobody can take you out. You are going through this season because the Lord is restoring you to the very foundation of who he's called you to be holding you in the palm of his hand so that you can be poured out like a drink offering to make an impact on those around you because those around you have never needed you more than they need you now. I want to read you 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. This is out of the Passion. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says this. Uh How many of y'all wished for glasses when you were a kid? I did. I was like, I want to think they're so cute. Now I'm old enough, I should wear them. Uh, Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new, and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions, and he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God.
And that is exactly what Lucia did to Punchinello in the book, right? She didn't fix him. She didn't take the dots off of him. She just said, hey, you need to be reconciled to the maker. His name is Eli. He's up there ready to see you, right? And she's on about her business. Sometimes I think we think that it's our responsibility to fix everything, fix everybody, fix every situation, know all of the answers, take off everyone's dots. Uh, and it isn't. Your ministry is to reconcile people to the maker. Jeremiah 30, 17 says, But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. So today we're going to examine lives that have been restored, reinstated, returned to right standing to their original condition. We have all accepted stars and dots. So as we go throughout our time together, I want you to ask the Lord, what would he like to reinstate or repair or return to its original condition in your life today? To make you more usable and moldable in his hand. To literally continue this process of making your life a poured out sacrifice. So we're going to start today by looking at the story of Jonah. So I'm going to read in the book of Jonah. And I am going to put these goofy glasses on. <laughs> Okay, Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish, to flee from the Lord. So Jonah immediate, Jonah gets this word from the Lord. He doesn't respond, or at least we don't have a record of it. He just gets on a boat and goes the exact opposite direction. One thing that I think is also funny about this is we often think, okay, it, this is about the word for Nineveh. But can I tell you that this really has nothing about the word for Nineveh. God's getting the word to Nineveh, whether it's Jonah or someone else. This story is 100% about Jonah, okay? And so he is, he's out of there. I want to read you a footnote. This is in uh, my study Bible here. Their unique position of privilege, oh, let me back up a little bit. In this narrative, the people of Israel are to see themselves as in a mirror. Their unique position of privilege as the people to whom God had revealed himself in a special way. Their particular vocation as God's chosen kingdom people. Their stubborn resistance to fulfilling that vocation. And the reason Israel must die as a nation and be raised up again, refined and renewed. So this story is about the chosen, Jonah, who is, knows God, knows his voice. He's given a job to do. He does not want to do it. He runs away. 
How many of us can relate to that? I am, I know God. I know what his voice sounds like. I know when he tells me to do something. And sometimes I have run away. If you can say that, raise your hand. Okay. Um, so let's carry on. We're going to read now. Oh, now I'm going to tell you some of this story. So we know he gets on the boat. He goes, he's trying to run away and hide. He goes to the bottom of the boat. And in verse five, it tells us that he fell into a deep sleep. Now, something that I'm not going to talk a lot about, but something is super interesting. There are many things in the story of Jonah that are a type and shadow of Jesus. One of them is in the midst of a storm, Jonah is in the bottom of the boat in a deep sleep. Have you ever heard that story with Jesus? He's in a boat. He, there is a storm. They think they are going to die. He is sound asleep in the bottom of the boat. That's where Jonah also finds himself. The other sailors on the boat are scared to death. And the, the Bible says they threw everything off the boat. They just start throwing all their supplies, everything. I'm not sure why they were doing that, but they did. And it says they cried out to their own gods. Finally, they cast lots, basically shooting dice, if you grew up where I grew up. So they cast uh, lots. Nikki's laughing because we grew up together. Um, and it lands on Jonah as the reason that we are experiencing this storm. Another thing that happened with Jesus, right? When he was hung on the cross, they cast lots for his robe. Uh, so Jonah, they figure out it's him. They go to him and they are like, look, dude, is this your fault? Wake up. We are going down and we just cast lots and pray to our gods. And I think that it is you. And Jonah says, yes, it is me. I am a Hebrew and I worship the God of the land and the sea. So throw me overboard and the storm will stop. Well, an interesting thing that I learned was the pagans back in this day thought that the God of the sea was the highest deity. So when Jonah says, I'm the God, I mean, I serve the God of the land and the sea, that was Jonah's way of saying, I serve the, the one true, the greatest God. So they throw him into the sea, storm stops, he gets swallowed up by the fish, he's in the fish for three days and three nights, just like Jesus is in uh, the belly, I mean in the tomb. So now I'm going to read to you Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prays to the Lord his God, and he says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. 
Why do you think it is that sometimes we force God to go to such great lengths to get us to bend our knee? I heard Beth Moore say one time when she was in a place where she knew she was supposed to do something and she did not want to. She said, the Lord said, Beth, you can bend your knee or I can break your legs. And I think, you know, can you think personally of a time when you knew this is what the Lord is saying? And there is no plan B. Like it or lump it. You are going to do this willingly or I can take care of it for you, right? The Lord again tells Jonah, go to Nineveh and proclaim the message that I gave you. And this is still not about what God is going to do or not do to the people in Nineveh. This is about Jonah. So Jonah goes and he warns the people and all the way up to the king, the people respond and they begin to repent. And it says in Jonah 3 verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. And he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And then Jonah, in chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? I think that is an interesting question. Have you any right to be angry? Um, the next thing that Jonah does is he, he is very mad. He just got swallowed up by a fish, y'all. I mean, he knows God's not messing around. So he's mad. He says, I, it'd be better if I was dead. I'm not sure why. He nearly was. So he goes outside the city. He builds him a little shelter. He sits down to see what's going to happen in Nineveh. And the Bible says that a vine comes up. And the vine gives Jonah shade. And he likes that. The Lord is the one who sends the vine. Well, one night later, he, he sends worms and they eat the vine and the vine's gone. So now Jonah is mad again. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah was angry because God did not punish Nineveh for disobedience. Immediately following, Jonah being thankful that God spared him from judgment, because of his own disobedience. 
And it's a little bit like what Heather and I were talking about before we started. And she said, you know, we sit at home and we talk about, are we going to wear a mask? Are we not going to wear a mask? The, the latest thing I heard was that people are saying you might now should also wear goggles. Now, I'm going to tell you, I haven't spent a lot of time talking about that because I ain't going to do that. Um, but we talk about all these things, you know, someone should do something. So, this is what I will do. This is what I won't do. I'm so dang angry about all of this. And then when you leave your house, you realize that we're really talking about people. Just like Nineveh, 120,000 people. And Jonah's mad because God took away his vine. Take anger, for example. Think of how little of your anger in the last couple of months had anything at all to do with the kingdom of God. You're not generally angry because things are in the way of God and his kingdom purposes. You're angry because something or someone has gotten in the way of something you desire, something you think will inspire contentment, satisfaction, or happiness in you. Your heart is desperate to be inspired and you get mad when your pursuits are blocked. That's from Paul David Tripp. So I want us to spend just a little bit of time talking about Jonah. Have you ever struggled with obedience to God because you thought the outcome would be different than what you hoped? He always has a better plan. And I don't know. We can all say time and time again... We saw him be right. And then the next time we think we have the better plan, you know, and he has to turn the dang temperature up. Another thing that I think is so precious in this whole story of Jonah, and this, I will tell you, this is the first time I've spent any time studying Jonah as an adult. Um, but God could have just left him in the fish. I mean, you disobeyed, you didn't do it, you nearly caused these people to lose their life on the boat and they chunked you overboard, right? And now I got you contained. You're in the fish, right? And that could have been the end of Jonah. But God restores. Um, it is never over as long as there is still time in the game. There is time for the Lord to restore every broken part of your life. So even in the situations where you know that was God, that was the right thing, the right thing, the right thing, does that mean that I don't have difficult emotions to overcome? No. No. I think sometimes we think if we make the right decision that it's all lollipops and rainbows, right? And it is not. You still have all of these emotions and insecurities and hurt, right, that you have to allow the Lord to restore. Um, but he does bless obedience. Okay, can you share, anybody share a time that you were angry with God? And then how has that anger or how you dealt with it impacted your intimacy with God at this point? It does no one any good to act like you're not angry at God if you're angry at God, because guess what? God knows you are, <laughs> you know? And it's so much better. It's the same way with our kids, right? My kids have been dang mad at me before, I'm sure. Maddie's here, maybe not, maybe once. 
ish. Um, but even angry at one another, you have to come together and share about what has happened, what makes you angry, and how can we forgive and move forward. And God's never going to admit wrong because he never is wrong, but he definitely can take you telling him and spewing and sharing at a gut level, I am mad, and I'm probably going to be mad for a minute, right? Irregardless of what you say, I'm going to be mad for a minute. Um, you should read Job. One of my favorite passages is because Job is like, what do you think you're doing, basically? And God goes, hey, let me just ask you some things. Do you know which angel it was that held the measuring stick when I laid out all of the universe? Do you know where the wind comes from and where the wind goes or that I stir the ocean up with my hand? Now, stop me, Job, if I'm getting into things that you do understand, right? But Job went to God and said, I'm mad and I do not understand. And there is nothing wrong with that. But again, it is being brave enough and having an intimate relationship with the Lord so that you will go up the hill to the woodcarver and sit down and share, hey, I got this dot and I need help. And he is ready. This, even in Jonah, it says, I know that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so even when we are talking about our will, this isn't a, Jonah wasn't confused. He knew this is the directive and by an act of his will, he disobeyed. We have all done that. Even when it's willful disobedience, do you know that the word when it says that, uh, I think it's in Isaiah 61, where it talks about he was bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions. Um, your iniquity is a gross moral failure. Transgression means I broke the rule. Iniquity means I by an act of my will, choose to be disobedient. And that is something that God lists as what his beating before he gave his life covered for us. Even when the restoration is about my will, the Lord's going to follow it through to the end because he could have sent anybody to Nineveh. This story was about restoring Jonah. Jonah needed restoration in his will. The bottom line is God did not need Jonah. Jonah needed Nineveh to live a restored life, a life that is reinstated. We must be willing to admit that there is a God and we are not him and to be obedient to his voice, leaving the ultimate outcome up to him. So as we move into our next session, we're going to talk about the woman at the well, but the question I want you to just keep in the back of your mind is, is there an area in your will that you need God to restore? Is there a decision that you know you need to make? 
or something that the Lord's asking you to do that you have just not been obedient. Um, just continue to listen if the Lord is talking to you about that. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.